Alright, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 through 17 today. We're going to talk about Paul's feelings towards others. As I mentioned to you, this book is probably one of the most difficult epistles to read or to understand. Some of it has to do with the nature of what's going on here, of why Paul is addressing the Corinthians. Because what you're going to see is why it's so difficult is the fact that Paul is addressing many He's addressing many personal issues, issues concerning him, issues concerning them, and you're going to see some of that even come out today in our lesson, and especially as he talks about his feelings towards others. He also spends some time talking about Christ. Now, what we can glean from this is, is there, there, this book is not necessarily a heaven, heaven, heavily doctrinal book, although there is doctrine here we can learn some specific lessons for our own life. Like last week, we looked at the issue of forgiving. Forgiving an offender who is repentant. So let's look at the, what Paul is going to tell us today. Look at verse 12 and 13, first of all. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. Okay, so let's look at these couple of verses. First of all, he has a concern for Titus. Paul came to Troas, which is one of the towns there in Asia Minor, in, in, in Macedonia there in Greece, to preach the gospel. He came to Troas to preach the gospel. And notice what he said there. He, in the same verse, verse 12, he talks about the opportunity. Paul was responding to an opportunity that the Lord had opened to him. Paul was talking about an opportunity that the Lord had opened to him. Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Here's Paul. He's doing his ministry. He's going about. And when God presents him with an opportunity, he takes advantage of it. He was presented with an opportunity to what? Do ministry. And he took it. It says he took it because God gave him an open door. Are you looking for open doors in your life? Are you looking for open doors in your life? We say, I don't know how to recognize an open door. Well, they present themselves all the time. Listen, if you remember going through Experiencing God, remember what Henry, Henry Blackaby said in Experiencing God, that, you know, that, God, that people naturally don't seek after God. But that if somebody is interested in spiritual things, that is a sign that what? God is working. There's an opportunity there. Now, you don't break out your, your six-gun gospel gun and blow them away immediately. But you help progress them along in their journey. You understand? You look for the opportunity. You look for the opportunity. And that's what Paul was doing. He was responding to an opportunity. However, Paul didn't stay in Troas very long because he was troubled. Notice, I want you to notice, as he ministered in Troas, Paul was restless in his spirit. Even though he was responding to an open door that God gave him while he was there, there was something still going on in Paul's life. He was restless. He was restless. His spirit was restless. 
Why? He was troubled concerning the current status of Titus. He was concerned about Titus. Now, we've all heard about Timothy, have we not? Timothy, his son, and, you know, we also need to recognize that there were other companions of Paul that Paul was really concerned for, and one of them was Titus. We have a New Testament letter that was written to Titus. This is the Titus we're talking about. It was one of Paul's companions. And so, he was troubled concerning the status of Titus. He was concerned for them. He was concerned for them. And so then notice what he did. Even though he had an open door for ministry, notice what he did. Paul decided to leave for Macedonia. He was in Troas. Now he decides to leave for Macedonia. Why? Because he was concerned for Titus. Concerned for Titus. Let me ask you a question. You ever get bothered for somebody? Not bothered by somebody, but bothered for somebody. Or concerned for somebody. You ever been restless in your spirit towards someone? Now, the next question is, is all of us can relate to that. Yes, we've been burdened for other people. Have you allowed that burden to interrupt your schedule? What do you mean? I mean, have you dropped what you're doing for the sake of someone else? Because you were concerned for them. Chances are, this is your response. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it for you because I know nobody wants to admit this. But I'll be George and I'll do it for you. Chances are you thought, hmm, I don't need this right now, Lord. Got too much on my plate to be worrying about what's going on in their life right now. Can you relate to that? If we're honest, we would. But I want you to notice, here's the Apostle Paul. God gave him an open door to do ministry. That's why we're here, is to do ministry, isn't it? See, people come to know Jesus, but his spirit is troubled for who? Titus. So what does he decide to do? He lays aside the ministry to go check on Titus. Wow, this is the Apostle. What does that tell you about his priorities? What were his priorities? People. Not just any people, because somebody could say, well, they sure weren't those, those people in Troas. No, no, they were a priority, but Paul had his priorities right. You understand, he was concerned about those who were close to him. And so he was willing to drop what he was doing to go where? And minister to someone who was near to him, who, who was... Maybe he's struggling, or who knows. But he was troubled for him. Look at verse 14 through 17 now. Now, thanks be to our God. He pauses for a moment. Thanks be to our God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity. But as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Okay, so let's focus here now 
out of what he's doing here. So he pauses for a moment, then he talks about his feelings for for Timothy there. Now he's going to talk about his triumph in Christ. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at this. Verse 14, he makes an interesting, he pauses as he thinks about laying aside what he's doing and he's leaving for Macedonia because of Titus. He makes an interesting point, and that is Paul thanked God for always leading them in triumph. Because some of you might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You mean to tell me he had an open door? People could have come to Jesus. There would have been great victory and so forth. And he just laid that aside for some guy named Titus? Yes. So as he shares that, Paul then says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. See, it's God who does the leading. It's God who gives you the victory. It's God who brings the triumph in, triumph in your life. So he, his priorities were right. You understand? His priorities were right. And so he was concerned about people. He wasn't concerned about his own glory because he recognized what? That God is the one who leads him in triumph. God will lead him in triumph and is leading him. So he thanks God for that. So then he moves on now, the last part of verse 14 there, and he talks about the gospel. And so here's what he says. Paul describes the gospel of Jesus Christ as a fragrant smell of incense. How have you been to the Christian bookstores lately? You walk in and you get assaulted. Whoosh! Potpourri. Or candles. You know? Or if you're going through Walmart and you walk through that one section of the candle section, it just hits you. You that smell. And for some of us, it's, it's, you, you like it when it's just the one smell, but when you go into those kind of places, it's 50 different smells assaulting you at one time. But everybody knows when you like a nice, fragrant smell, don't you? And that's what Paul is describing here. He's describing the gospel as a fragrant smell of incense. So think about that. Think about your, your scent that you love. Or vanilla. You know, whatever. You love that scent. He thinks of the gospel as a fragrant scent. So then he states this. Notice what he states. Paul states that this fragrant smell of the gospel is dispersed through our life. Like, for instance, if we were to have a candle up here, one of those fragrant, smelly candles, you know, eucalyptus or whatever, you know, that you, whatever you like, whatever your scent is, or whatever you love to smell, if we were to start it down here, at first you wouldn't smell it, would you? But as it burns, and, and what, what happens to it? The fragrance just kind of what? Moves through the room, doesn't it? It just begins to permeate things. In fact, have you noticed that if you're in a room where they're always burning incense and potpourri and stuff, the, the room kind of takes on the smell because it just kind of permeates everything, doesn't it? You could remove that candle and you can still walk in there. Who knows? Some of them are so strong you can walk in there two years later and still smell it. That's, the, that's what he's describing the gospel as here, as, as a fragrance that permeates our lives. It permeates our lives. And so he talks about now, he moves from the fragrance of the gospel in verse 14, he now talks about the fragrance of our lives because it permeates our lives. Now we become a fragrance. So notice what he says in verse 15 and 17. We'll read this again. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 
To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to another the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as, but as of sincerity, but as from God we speak in the sight of God in Christ. So let's notice what he says. First of all, the fragrance of our lives to God. Paul states that his life, and I would say our lives, was a fragrance to God. Think about that. I talked about being assaulted by the smells, but if you have a candle or whatever that you really like the smell, isn't that enjoyable to you? Isn't that enjoyable to you? You know, you, you enjoy those kind of smells. Think about this. God views your life. This is really, think about this now. He views your life like a fragrance that he's pleased with. Isn't that an awesome thought? I'm like a burning candle that he enjoys the smell of. That's almost too much for us to think about, isn't it? That God, because of the gospel, because of salvation, enjoys me. Wow. Now, some of you are thinking, well, how can he enjoy me because of this? Notice it didn't have an exception clause there. Did you notice? Look in your Bibles. Verse 15, no asterisks unless there's a, a, a little bit of a variant in the translation there. There's no footnotes there that says, well, except for you guys who it's really a muddy smell right now. No, no. He says that because of the gospel, remember what the gospel is, Jesus dying for you because of what he did, not because of who you are. So because of the gospel, because of Jesus, you are what? A fragrance to him. Wow. Isn't that an awesome thought? God enjoys you. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the wonderful thing. It's not just a question of him accepting you. Oh, that would be just wonderful enough. But it's a question that he enjoys you. Wow. Because here's the thing. All of us have relatives, right? And you go to reunions. Try not to, but you go to them. And you're all in one family. But there are people there. You just don't enjoy them. You're like, oh my goodness, they can. And sometimes we think God sees that. Oh yeah, He accepts us. We're in the family of God. But the Bible goes one step further and says, you're like a fragrance that He enjoys. Wow. Isn't that an awesome thought? God enjoys you. Wow. I'm trying to get some excitement here with you guys, but you're like, <laughs> hasn't permeated yet. That one needs to permeate. Paul also says this now. It's not this that it's a fragrance to God. Paul states that his life was also a fragrance among the, law, the saved and the lost. His life was a fragrance among the saved and the lost. Your life is a fragrance. Whether you realize it or not, your life is a fragrance among the lost and the saved. Think of the implications of that. 
Your life is a fragrance among those who are perishing, as he says. Perishing means those who are heading to hell. And those who are saved, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Your life is a fragrance. Are you acting like it? Are you acting like it? Because here, now we get to why he says that. Because he describes his fragrance in a couple of ways. Verse 16, he talks about the aroma of death. He says, to those who reject the gospel, it is the sentence of death. Do you realize that your life as a believer, to those who are perishing, your fragrance to them is the aroma of death? Now, how many of you understand what I'm talking about? How many of you don't? Let me ask, how many of you don't understand what I mean by that? Raise your hand, be, be real. Okay, some real people over here. How many of you over here? Okay, here's what it means. First of all, let me explain it this way. Do you understand that the gospel is not only the message of life, it is the message of death? Does everybody understand that? The gospel is, has a dual nature. The dual nature of it is it's a message of life. It's a message of life to who? Well, to those who accept it, the saved. It's a message of death to those who what? Reject it. Now, let's take it one step further. Our lives have been permeated by the gospel because we've accepted it. Now, your life is a fragrance to them. To those who are perishing, your life is an aroma of death. Because just like their rejection of the gospel, their rejection of the gospel in you, that is, in your life, is a sentence of death to them too. Do you realize that? Some of you, you, I can see your eyes moving and thinking, hmm, I've never thought of that way. That's what Paul's saying here. This is not George Cannon's thinking. I just want you to understand. That's what Paul's saying here. Your life to those who are not saved is a sentence of death. Because one day they're going to stand before the righteous king, Jesus Christ, on his great white throne. And as he points out to them their rejection of the gospel, they're going to say, well, how do I reject the gospel? And he's going to say, well, weren't you friends with so-and-so? Weren't you family with so-and-so? They knew me. They lived for me. They told you about me. They prayed for you. But you kept on rejecting and you rejected it. See, you understand now. You see my point here. Your life, he says, is a fragrance to the unsaved, but it's not a sweet-smelling fragrance, is it? It's an aroma of death. I think, you know, living in this, this neck of the woods, we are familiar with the smell of death, aren't we? All you got to do is just drive down the road with the windows down in the middle of summer and drive by a carcass or a skunk or something that's squashed on the road and you smell the aroma of death, right? We're familiar with the set that you realize that your life is like that to an unbeliever. Do you realize that? That's that that's almost breaks my heart, doesn't it? Because you would want something else for them. But see, it's not your responsibility. You keep living the way you're living. They have to make the decision. And just like the gospel is a message of life and death, your life is a message of life and death. And that's what he's saying here, is that it's a aroma of death. That is, those who reject the gospel, it is the sentence of death. It is the sentence of death. 
Can I tell you, there's a lot of people walking out there with death sentences. And they're not on death row in prison. To those who respond to the gospel, it is eternal life. See, it's a room of death to those who are perishing. But for those who, who will accept, it's an aroma of life. And so, to those who respond to the gospel, it's eternal life. Now, let me ask you this question. How does the thought that Christianity spreads like a fragrance challenge our church? How does that challenge our church? Okay, it'd be exciting. Mike says that could be an exciting thing for us. But how, what's the challenge of that for us? Yeah, the challenge to us is to bring other people in. Or not just that we bring them in, how about that we go what? Out. Because how often are we in? Sunday. Or your grace group. Where do you spend most of your time what? Working, school, activities, family, doctor. I mean, you name it. You're at grocery store, walking on a trail. And guess what? The challenge to us is that we live our lives as a what? Fragrance. Fragrance, isn't it? Fragrance. Wow. Okay, now, Paul then talks about the sufficiency for the task. Look at verse 16 again. He says this, And who is sufficient for these things? Paul raises the question now, as to who is up to this significant task. Because this is a significant task. Do you understand? Living your life in such a way that it is a fragrance to those around you. Who's up to that? If you're honest with yourself, you'd say, I'm not. We should be. That's right, Betty. We should be. But if, it, if it's up to us, we have to recognize that a lot of times we're not up to it, are we? I mean, let's be honest. Instead of saying, oh, Lord, give me an opportunity today, show me opportunities, I'm saying, Lord, this guy's interrupting my prayer time. Like God saying, get out of the holy huddle. Play the game. Play the game. You know, so many of us, we don't want to play the game, do we? And so the challenge is, Paul is saying there, he raises the question as to who's up for the task. So then now, that's where we're going to spend our last part in verse 17. We're going to look now at Paul's example. We're going to spend our last five minutes looking here at Paul's example. Notice something what he says there. For we are not as many peddling the word of God. Here's what he said. Paul stated that he was not ministering for personal gain. When you think of somebody peddling something, what do you think of? Yeah, a salesman. When I think of a peddler, I think about the guy that came over to my house, already told you the story, selling me, trying to sell me Cutco knives that said it was going to be 30 minutes, ended up being there three hours. And I'm constantly saying no, 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 nine. I mean, whatever I could think of, any language that I could communicate to him, no. We think of a salesman. And he, what he's saying is, is that we are not like those who are peddling for their personal profit or their personal gain, the Word of God. Paul says that's his example. Paul says that's his example. So what does he mean by that? He points out that there are some who are ministering for personal gain. Let me just be aware. Let me just help you to recognize, help you to understand that 
every guy you see on TV is not in it just for Jesus. There are some people who get in pulpits and churches who are not in it just for them for Jesus. They're in it for who? For themselves. You guys have been you've been around churches a lot longer than I have. Some of you, some of you have been saved a whole lot longer than I've been alive. And your path has crossed with many pastors. You've seen many guys on TV. You've seen many guys come and speak and. And, and evangelists and all this stuff. You've seen many, 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 and you've known, hopefully by now, that some of them aren't just in it for the sake of the gospel, are they? They're in it for what? Yeah, for their personal gain or their personal wallet. And it's amazing. When some of those guys you see them, they're driving around in Rolls Royces, you know what I'm saying? They wear expensive clothes. Gold Rolex is on, and, 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 and they're not ashamed to talk about it. They're not ashamed to talk about it. But we seem to be dumb enough to keep sending them money. Because the reality is that they're not in it for the gospel. They're peddling the Word of God for what? Personal gain. And so Paul says he doesn't do that. He's not in it for personal gain. But he says, I'm going to remind you of something, folks, that there are people who are out there who are doing it for personal gain. And their whole purpose in what they're doing is not for the gospel, not for Jesus, not for his church. It's for who? Himself. But you know what? Here's what the Bible says. This is the awesome thing that I have to live with every day. I've got to stand before God one day and give him an account. Because I love a church. They've got to stand before God one day. And give an account. See, we can blow smoke now. But one day, hey, we're all moving there, aren't we? I mean, think about it. I couldn't even remember Marilyn's name. I'm getting old. We're all moving there. And for a pastor or a church leader or an evangelist or a television personality, that's even, the Bible says there'll be even more of a response, more of accountability there than there would be for, say, you who sits in the pew. That's an awesome thought. It's an awesome thought. So, he said it was not for personal gain. So, how, how did he minister then? Paul said he was ministering out of complete sincerity, he was ministering out of sincere heart. Out of being sincerely concerned for people, sincerely loving them, sincerely concerned about their eternal destinies, concerned about their issues right now in their life right now. He ministered out of a sincere heart because he genuinely cared for them. Reminds me of a story of a, of a Puritan pastor. But he pastored in a small country church in England. And he ministered to the people. He loved the people. Then he was given an opportunity to be a chaplain to the court of the king. Which in the Church of England would be a very prestigious position. So he accepted. The day that he was to leave, you know, they said their farewells. The church people were there and they were all weeping for him. Weeping for him because of their pastor, was going to leave down and go and be the chaplain to the king. 
he noticed the people and his heart grew fond for them. And he noticed, he reflected upon the years of ministry that he had for them and the concern for him. Guess what he did? He stayed. He turned down the opportunity to go and be a chaplain to the king. Would you say that man was ministering out of sincerity? Isn't that an awesome thought? That's what Paul's saying. Paul says, I, not like these guys who are peddling the word for personal gain, he says, I, I ministered out of sincerity, out of genuineness. But then he also says this, wow, this is something else. Paul spoke in awareness of God's watchful presence. It wasn't just out of sincerity. It was sincerity also with the recognition that God was watching. Do you see what I'm saying? You see how that marked his life? He wasn't just being sincere and he, he, he's recognizing that God was watching. Isn't that an awesome thought? Does that govern you? That as you live your life out, as you enter into conversations with people, as you are doing what you're doing, that it's not just you who's doing it and maybe your motives may be right or whatever, but do you ever recognize that in the back of your mind you need to be realizing, you know what? Somebody's watching me. And that somebody is the God of the universe who I one day have to stand before and give account. You know, I'll be honest with you. If we really let that sink in, that God's watching us, I think we would change, wouldn't we? Our behavior would change because we recognize that I'm being watched. I'm being watched. You don't know what I'm talking about. Think about when you were growing up. If you knew your mom and dad's watchful eyes were there watching you, how would you act? But as soon as they went somewhere else, guess what? Freedom! It was their watchful eyes that, what, kept you in tow, didn't it? But as soon as you realized that they weren't there anymore, see, that's what Paul's saying here. Is he, was, he, he recognized that he was before God. Before God. Okay, so let's close our time. Next week, we're going to look at being ministers of the New Covenant. Paul talking about his being a minister of the New Covenant. Let's pray.